Hello, this is Matteo, and welcome to the Inside People podcast. Today's guest is Teresa. Teresa is a pastry chef, a farmer, and a small business owner from Canada. Beyond that, she's one of the most joyful and genuine people I've ever met. In our conversation, we talk about work-life balance, loneliness, finding your purpose, and the importance of creating a connection with the food you eat. Teresa shares her unique experience as a pastry chef in London and goes through the events that led her to become a farmer. She has recently started her own business, Sunny Baking, which she describes as a way to connect my love for food, baking and pastry with the importance of amazing ingredients, supporting local food growers and having a transparent food trail. Sunny Baking is a clear example of how you don't figure out your path straight away and every new activity you take up even if it feels like a bump in the road today, represents an opportunity to learn. As a hero of mine once said, you cannot connect the dots looking forward, you can only connect them looking backwards. The objective of the Inside People podcast is to give people an opportunity to talk about their journey, their wins and struggles, and make us feel a little bit more connected in a world that doesn't seem to have time to stop and understand others. If the content we're putting out there resonates with you, it'd be great if you could follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you normally use. Also, rating the podcast on Spotify will really help us reach more people and build a community in which we feel inspired and a bit less lonely. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the Entire People podcast. I really appreciate it. Welcome on the podcast, Steve. We normally start with one's own definition of success and I really want to know why you're proud of being yourself today wow I mean that's the thing Matteo everyone has a different version of success and who's to say I am successful honestly but for me if I had to define it it would probably just come down to peace and happiness Um, and I know that's extremely vague but you know it that's that's why it works because everyone has a different version of peace and joy but yeah as I've like you know gone through my 20s I've just realized that nothing really matters but also everything matters (laughs) because literally you know as, as long as you feel peace inside I think that's the highest form of success and it's not easy to get there for sure and it's a constant thing to keep working at and um yeah and then am I proud of myself yeah for sure I think it takes a lot of work to uh say that maybe and but in terms of being proud I think it's it comes down to the fact that I really like who I am and I like spending time with myself (laughs) so but and it has nothing to do really with like what I've achieved or where I am today it's more so just the fact that you know if I spend a whole day alone by myself I'm I'm happy with that as well (laughs) does that make sense yeah I get it yeah Yeah, it does it does yeah but like what do you normally because you're saying that feeling at peace is just mm-hmm. what you think is mm-hmm. um i mean what is your definition that's your definition of success and i completely mm-hmm. agree but is there something that you oh, normally because yeah. i think it's really tough to feel at peace and is there something you yeah, normally do to sort of that you know they that thing that specific thing mm-hmm. all things help you mm-hmm. feel more mm-hmm. at peace with yourself 
Oh, definitely community, connection, um, being present, eating good food, moving, you know, and it, and it ranges from physical and emotional and spiritual really. But yeah, I think just staying in tune with, with your present self and then also, uh, contributing to the the world in a positive way. And that, that differs for everybody. But for me, true peace, I think comes from a really joyous connection and really genuine connection with other people, with myself as well. And, um, yeah, just focusing on, focusing on the present tense, you know, like even right now, I'm not thinking, I'm trying not to think about what I'm doing later. (laughs) I'm just having this good conversation with Mateo and trying to soak it all up and enjoy it and be genuine. And I think that even subconsciously that sort of transfers to peace as well, you know? Yeah. What do you think? I agree. I agree with you. That's, I mean, what I've been trying to do lately in the last month is literally be like, the only real thing that, that I have is right now. I mean, right now, like now as a noun, is the only thing I have that, and that is real. Yeah. If you think about it, it's, it's mind-blowing and it's really tough sometimes, I think. But when we start overthinking about situations and, and our past and, and how it affects our present and then our future, we're never in the moment and we never really enjoy anything. But then I start reflecting on the fact that while I'm showering or while I'm about to go to sleep and or I'm about to fall asleep and I start thinking about whatever and, and that's not useful at all, I start remembering and sort of remind myself that the only real thing right now is me being there. That's it. So that's not all I'm thinking about is made up uh, except the fact that I'm here right now. And so... I'm like, mate, just enjoy the moment. Yeah. It's hard to do, though. It's, it's very hard to do. You know, I mean, every, even right now, right now, <laughs> we always talk about being present. <laughs> but it's very easy to get into your head, start thinking about the future and the past and really simple stuff, too. Like, you know, what you're going to do with the rest of the day. And then your mind just wanders and all of a sudden the day is over <laughs> yeah so but then you never enjoy anything it's true because it's, it's like whatever you're doing now is less important than what you think you should be doing later yeah definitely definitely i also find that expectations i've slowly realized having expectations kind of ruins the moment for for the future yeah like I don't know I've just spent so many times in my life where I have a vision or expectation of how things are going to go <laughs> then probably 99% of the time it doesn't go that way and usually it's not as good as what I thought was going to happen which which sounds quite pessimistic but it's because we get into our heads, right? But if you go into something having no expectation or at least very little, I feel like that that helps being more present as well and also just enjoying that moment more. But that's also very hard to do. I agree. But that's why unexpected things are the best ones because you, you cannot... I mean, I think as human beings, our brain is made 
for having expectation. By nature, we expect things. And so when we when something that we don't expect happens, we didn't have the chance to sort of think about it and overthink it. And so it's way nicer because it's a gift. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree more. Be present, no expectations. But it's tough. Yeah, it's very tough. Yeah. As you were saying, community helps a lot. So more practically, yeah. what should one do in order to start feeling more at peace? What are your go-to coping mechanisms? Honestly, this sounds so funny, but I'd probably just have a dinner party. That's cool. <laughs> um, just kidding. Yeah, I mean, I love hosting and I love having people over for dinner. Uh, yeah, a little wine, really good food. And it just feels so good. Uh, you know, connecting with people over delicious food. But if I had to just, you know, be more broad, I think people should connect or realize, you know, what do they like doing? What are they sort of good at? And then just go put themselves in a situation that people also feel the same. So say, for example, say, you know, you really like rock climbing and you're kind of good at it, or maybe you're not good at it. That's fine. But it's something that you're just really into. Go to a rock climbing gym that you've never been to before. And then you're going to find people that you can immediately connect with because you have similar passions. And yeah, that just fills you up in a way that is so much better than, you know, forcing yourself in a situation that you don't necessarily genuinely want to be in. Um, yeah, but you know, so like I've spent the past few years farming and the connection I've made with other farmers is so amazing just because we all care so much about, uh, growing local organic food and there's just an, an immediate base level connection that exists even meeting someone for the first time because you share that uh, passion. Um, yeah, and so then it's very easy to grow a community, even, you know, a small community. And that just gives back to you in a way that is so rewarding. And then also you you want to contribute to it as well, right? And that comes very naturally. I think communities is something that we don't really talk enough about and yeah I think you know we spend a lot of time just being as individuals and working towards our goals as individuals but I think anything good is done in a group and nothing nothing really amazing is is done alone so we have to I don't know talk more about that's why I love this podcast so much Mateo because it's all about you know connection and community and yeah, and I've really discovered how important that is the past couple of years. And uh, yeah, so I think if, if people are, find a community that really like fills them up, and I, I don't mean like once a week, you know, every now and then, I mean like a community, people in their corner, a place that they want to be and contribute to, you can get anything done with that, with that feeling around. <laughs> yeah, and then it's so easy to give back in that sense, right? Because it's like the most natural form of human existence is connecting and, and doing things for others. Yeah, I agree 100%. But it'd be nice to know how you got here. And so I would like to start and go back a little bit because we met in London where we were both working. And in order to understand how you got here, it'd be interesting to sort of know 
how it started and what led you to London as well. Yeah, I know. So, so glad we met in London. I still remember the day that you walked into the bakery. (laughs) So funny. Um, Yeah. So yeah, I grew up in this small town just outside of Toronto, Canada. And yeah, I mean, not a special place. The town is, was a really good place to grow up, but it was pretty boring very small. It was a new like suburban development. Uh, yeah. And, but now like looking back, I, I genuinely think it was such a great place to grow up because we had, you know, other kids on the street that we would play outside with. And, um, we were friends with all the neighbors and it was really special. But yeah. And as you mentioned, I'm a triplet. So, I guess you could say I was sort of born into a community already because my family, there's six of us. I have uh, two triplet sisters and then an older sister and obviously my parents. And so our household was very loud. My poor dad, we talk about this all the time because he's quite quiet and patient. And thank gosh, because my sisters and I were crazy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, my mom, after dinner, my mom would just yell at us to go run around the block because we had so much energy. And but yeah, so we had we had a pretty crazy household. Yeah. And I think, you know, my journey began basically in the kitchen because my parents, you know, there was, there were six of us, so we didn't go out to eat very much or very often. And we were always cooking. My my mom and dad, they were always cooking in the kitchen. And as we slowly got older, my sisters and I, we started to help out in the kitchen and we're all a bunch of foodies, which you can relate. And so, yeah, literally I remember in middle school, which, which in Canada, you're about, I don't know, 11, 11 or 12 years old. I just started watching all these cooking shows. And then I just started cooking dinner with my sisters and, and playing around in the kitchen. And somehow, I don't really know what the shift was, but somehow I ended up really enjoying, um, the baking side of things. And anytime, you know, friends had a birthday or if we had a little family event, I would, I would try and make something sweet for it. Yeah. And honestly, Mateo was, I'm so grateful because, you know, so many people when they're in high school, so, and they're choosing, you know, what they want to do for post-secondary school. So many of my friends, so many people didn't know what they wanted to do and you have so much pressure to make a decision. Yeah. But I knew immediately that I wanted to go to pastry school and I knew this from literally, I don't know, when I was 12, I just knew. So I'm going to pastry school and I had my heart set on this uh, really good pastry program in Toronto. Big, big life change. I didn't get in. <laughs> I didn't make it into the course, which at the time was like the biggest deal. I remember crying and I was so shocked, but I ended up going to this amazing program on the East Coast of Canada in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, which is the smallest province in Canada. And yeah, it was an amazing program. And so I genuinely think you know the universe was sending me to a different different place for a good reason and and yeah and so I was baking learning ended up moving back to Toronto and I was working in you know a fancy French restaurant which which was also a bakery yeah so I was I was working but I, I I always knew Mateo that I wanted to go live somewhere else and just experience a new place and long story short um after about 
five years working in Canada. One of my pastry idols at the time, he was opening up a bakery in London. And here I am thinking, oh, wow, that's so cool. Like imagine working in London at that bakery. No way, not me. But then so my uh, my pastry mentor and boss at the time, who's now a really good friend of mine, uh, she she was like, T, why don't you just apply? Like, why don't we find a way to make it happen? Which is so cool because she was literally my boss. She said, hey, you know, you deserve this or you have to at least try if you want to be a better pastry chef. Long story short, I ended up getting in touch with the bakery. I was very lucky because I had a very loose connection to a chef that had worked with uh, someone previous who actually knew the pastry chef that I wanted to work for. So it was this amazing like trickle effect of uh, getting a job and getting my name into that bakery. And yeah, so I ended up getting the job, flew to London. I didn't have the job when I was, when I bought my ticket but I flew to London and then three days later or pretty soon after I landed I had my trial at the at this one uh bakery I was so nervous so out of depth really didn't know what I was doing and uh yeah I spent 12 hours there for my trial shift I ended up getting the job so that's how we met and then I think I was working for about a month or so not even that long and then and then you showed up you were talking about having to choose your path when you're young and also throughout your story I was and considering what you've just said I was thinking about the two main figures in your life which are probably your parents together and your mentor at your first job and I was thinking about how important it is to have people that support us all the way whatever choice we 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 make I was thinking that not everyone is lucky enough to have someone that supports them regardless of of what choice they make and I think in your case for example having someone that tells you go for it I know it's risky uh, or as a parent they you know going to university is way safer but I think it's really important for a person to know and and be aware that what they're doing is way more risky than doing something else but then also knowing that they're free to go for it if they really want to and that there's people behind them that support them regardless I really see it in in your story does it resonate with you oh definitely I feel like I've been very lucky even just the fact Matteo that my parents, they've always been, with my sisters and myself, they've always been super supportive on what we do as a career or professionally in any sense. Yeah, I'm sure there's some limitations that they would say, that's a, that's a bad idea. Um, but yeah, so even a pastry chef, you know, they don't make that much money. <laughs> They're it's a bit glamorous it's or sorry it's not glamorous but it's definitely a glamorized profession and but when you're really in it you know it's not a path I think that every parent would want for their kids because it's quite physical you don't make a lot of money it's very grueling on your body and and sometimes your mental health so yeah I feel like I have been very lucky though just growing up having my parents emotional support and just allowing a space for me to really try and figure out what I want to do. And that is something that I've been very privileged to have because so many people don't have that. And so many people don't even have an opportunity or a space to think, Hey, these are my goals or these are, this is what I want to do. Can I actually do it? You know, that that's even a concept that doesn't even exist for some people that 
option to think that way, right? I have been very blessed. And with my mentor as well, you know, she she was the first person that hired me out of pastry school. And yeah, and she's been a huge, huge pivotal person in my life, just helping me get to where I need to be. And even now, you know, we're, we're still in touch now. And, and, uh, even as I've tr- transitioned my career a little bit, you know, people are still there supporting me. So I feel very blessed. And I do agree, though, you, to become a good person, to be a good person, you have to be surrounded by good people. If you're not born into that, you have to go find it. But gosh, that must be so hard because <laughs> you don't know what you're looking for if you don't know, right? That's the thing. It's not something you know. Yeah. So it's just, if you don't know, one might go like, where should I look for it? I, it doesn't exist to me. So it's, yeah. But I think for people that that maybe don't have that opportunity or if they have, they feel like they haven't met people in their life that like reflect goodness back to them. I don't know. That's so hard. I feel like you have to remove yourself completely and just start fresh or have some sort of faith you know, like whether, and I don't mean like religion, I mean something within themselves that is bigger than what we all are, you know, because there's goodness, there's goodness in that too. I wanted to ask, based on what you were talking about now, as a pastry chef, you were in London, you said you were pursuing your dream, but we all know, and you just mentioned it, that hospitality is known for being really tough, a really tough industry, especially if you're a chef. But so the greatest threat I think here is that you might lose the love and passion that you have for your crafts because because it's tough to sort of keep that work-life balance as you were mentioning and it start really weighing on your shoulders and it'd be great to know how you managed sort of maintain the balance that is needed not to lose your passion but also to go through the struggles in the most proactive way oh yeah i mean I mean, I don't think I kept any balance, to be honest. <laughs> there was no balance. And uh, I think the reason why I managed to do it was uh, I was quite young at the time, so I had more energy. I mean, we're still young. I mean, I'm still young. But but I think my priorities have shifted a little bit. When I moved to London, I was 22, I think. So yeah, I had lots of lots of energy. I was really excited to learn. I wanted to just dive right into the pastry world in a new city, which was huge. But oh my gosh, it was such a big job. You know, I think it, it's not sustainable. There's no way that it is. Even the turnover at this one place I was at, the, the place that I, I moved to London for, the turnover was very high. New staff coming in every month, staff leaving every month because it was such an unsustainable place to work. This is because the hours were really long. The training wasn't really that great. And so honestly, there was no balance. I remember just feeling like all I did was live to work and and then on my days off you're just struggling to feel like a normal human but all you want to do is sleep but then you have this work hangover you know not from drinking just from working so much so your body is in this awful sort of sick state of recovery and then all of a sudden you have one day left to do anything normal I don't regret it I don't regret working there because I met amazing people and that's truly why I stayed so long the people that were there and even though the turnover was so high every new person coming in that kitchen was just amazing just honestly amazing and and when you go through a traumatic experience professionally 
it forces you to become quite close with those people very quickly because uh, there's just no room for faking it. You know, you just have to, you're in the struggle together. Yeah. But, and honestly, though, the the quality of the pastries, the cakes, everything, it was just so high end. And I think that's what kept me going because it was teaching me how to be like a really good pastry chef and to be really consistent, really ongoing and to persevere every day. But I I think, you know, I left that place after 10 months and it felt like five years was going to be taken off my life for sure, just because I needed to recover. So yeah. And, and I think even in the hospitality industry, it's very hard to find balance, especially, you know, I only have two cities to compare it to mostly, you know, Toronto and London, England, but the, the work ethic in London is just next level. I mean, people are crazy. They, they work so much. There's a new standard that I had never really discovered until working in that city, you know, and that's the problem though, is if you're not passionate enough, you'll drop out, but then also working this much makes you lose the passion. So it's hand in hand, kind of like you're eventually, unless you do something really drastically different within the industry, you know, in my opinion, you're, you're sort of doomed to fail eventually, whether it takes a year, 10 years, 15 years. Yeah. The thing is, if you want to be at the top of the game, that's what you have to do. But I, I think that the greatest part of people is not meant to do that. And at the same time, you have to make choices. You know that if you want to be an A player, let's put it this way, that's what you do in your life. And then it might be that as a person, you have different objectives. Your goal, your purpose is different. So maybe you want to you want to do different things and there's nothing wrong with it. But I think it's really important for people to be aware of what they actually want. Because if you want to take one road, one path, it's obviously, it just rules out all the rest. And... It's good that you sort of realized it. And as you were saying, it's just a shame that sometimes we think we want to do something and that we're really passionate about something and we are really passionate about something, but probably just in a different way. And what I would like to know is related to, I mean, you were talking about the fact that it got really tiring and you started probably, you stopped liking what you were doing. And, and I, I want to know, because you also said, though, that you learned a lot. When you left, when you stopped working there, what was your, quote-unquote, relationship with being a pastry chef? That's a great question. I mean, so I definitely was burnt out, but I knew that London had more to offer in terms of jobs. You know, it's such an amazing city for food, for pastry chefs in general, because there's this sort of like healthy competition where every place just wants to be amazing. And that doesn't really exist in Canada very much. (laughs) Sorry, Toronto, but it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. And, and maybe it has something to do with the fact that all the hotels have afternoon tea, right. And they want to do a really good service and they want the customers, the guests to come in. So I think it, 
allows for a higher standard for pastry kitchens and there's so many jobs available. So if you're a pastry chef out there and you're looking for a new city, even though it's hard, definitely go to London because you're going to learn so much and there's so many different avenues that you can take, right? And so I think I, I still had the curiosity within me to try new places, to work in different kitchens. And so, and then obviously I needed to make money. So there's that. <laughs> so the love you had for it was still there it didn't fade it was still there I definitely faded a little bit but I was still curious I ended up working as a temp agency pastry chef which is so cool because you can sign up with different agencies I don't know if it's in every city but London had quite a few and literally they just send you to different uh, pastry kitchens that need help either for like a week, a day, a few days, or even sometimes often months. And it's so cool. So you, you're working as like a third party um, employee and then that agency pays you. And then that kitchen or that establishment pays the agency to have you there. So it's very cool. And the draw for it is that you make a little bit more money as a pastry chef because you're on an hourly rate. Whereas most places in kitchens in England or the UK, whatever, you're on a salary. So, I mean, which is pretty shit, to be honest, if you're if you're at a low level pastry chef role, because you could literally work, I don't know, 12 hours, 15 hours and make the same amount of money as if you worked eight. Right. Yeah. So there was a draw doing that. And it was quite scary at times. You know, sometimes I'd be sent to these hotels and I didn't even know where the entrance was. <laughs> and and, you, you know, you're a new person every week or every day or every month. And it was very scary. But yeah, you just, I just went in there, made sure I was smiling, didn't talk very much, you know, said yes, chef all the time and asked questions. And then slowly I became more comfortable with it. And then, yeah. And then what's great too, Mateo is, is I was able to sort of not pick my schedule, but there was more liberty with my schedule. So I was able to start seeing more of London, you know, and the balance started coming back. I started like appreciating pastry a bit more because I was more rested and, and, um, had time to, you know, contribute to other things in my life. Like see friends, community that we always talk about. But I do have to say that doing the temp work, it was good in some aspects. And then other aspects, you know, it was, you felt kind of alone because you're always the noob and you're always, they kind of assumed you were not that great because I think there's a, there's a reputation that temp chefs are lazy and they don't really care to do a good job, but that wasn't me. <laughs> And but it was really cool because I ended up meeting all these really amazing chefs, like really hardworking people, some crazy people for sure that like, you know, need to retire. Um, but yeah, and it was such a good experience. And I ended up doing that for the rest of my time in England, which was like a full two years. Um, so yeah, just over a year I did that. Yeah. But I don't know if you've ever heard the pillar analogy. No. I did not make it up, but some guy talked about it. He was saying you you need like in order to live a, a healthy, sustainable, happy life, um, you need your four pillars to keep you you know, standing up straight, just like building a house or something. And then if you put too much energy, if you work too much or if really anything you're doing, if, if too much is going into one pillar, uh, it becomes 
lopsided and you start like crashing down a little bit and this this goes with anything you know not just work but imagine you're like really obsessed with exercising and then all of a sudden you're just exercising all the time. You don't see your friends anymore. You don't see your family, you know, you start going downhill. So I think having like sort of an equal output or input into different aspects of your life, it's going to allow you to show up better for people, show up better for yourself. And then also, you know, you're not going to get burnt out. So my pillars were super out of whack when I was at that one pastry shop, like so out of whack. And and I was a less exciting, less good person because my patience was lower. I was kind of angry and bitter and uh, it, I was in survival mode you know so it's just not sustainable what are your pillars oh great question definitely yeah so friends and family duh and then (laughs) uh nature like being outside i mean i don't like saying the term nature because we're also part of nature so it just feels kind of silly being outside you know something i've realized about farming is the biggest thing that i immediately discovered on why I liked it was because I got to be outside every day, which is so opposite from pastry chefing. Yeah. So outside immersed in, you know, the elements, that's, that's one pillar. Food for sure. Huge foodie. Yeah. Like movement exercise. And I mean, those sound pretty basic though. Gosh. But I mean, if they work for you, who cares if they're basic? I think they're fine. It's perfectly fine to be basic. Yeah. You keep mentioning people and I, couldn't agree more and what i have experienced throughout the years and i still experience it to this day is the fact that the life we are living probably you were living but i'm still living is a life in which you are you just keep moving here and there keeping doing different things that are quite unrelated to each other and so the issue is that you bond with people you start connecting with people but then you know that after a few months you probably never see again forever And I think Mm. it goes back to the concept of creating, having your your own pillars. And you essentially end up being you, which I think in my case, it really helps in building a solid relationship with yourself. And it's of relying on yourself, 100% on yourself. But at the same time, I think that we are also made to be in a community and sort of rely on other people as well. Especially when you're young, you're trying to figure out things and based on some choices we make you might end up as you were saying in London so far from home in a job where uh, sort of is probably also difficult to bond because people just keep on changing there's a height to Nova uh, or the other job you were doing and so it becomes as you were also mentioning it feels a bit lonely because it's difficult to bond not because you cannot bond with people because um, for sure you can do it but it's more because people go people go you go everything changes fast and at the end of the day you always like who will stay around because <laughs> it's always new people and did it play a role as well oh definitely definitely well even like if imagine working at that one place but imagine everyone stayed the whole time because the hardest part about th- that work besides the actual work was that there was constant turnover but if everyone stayed even for a year, you know, it could have been really amazing. It could have been, it had every potential of being like the best place to work 
at in London because the kitchen was so great and the people were really good. But yeah, I think, you know, lonely, loneliness is dangerous because I don't know, it just makes you think bad and make bad decisions because you're just thinking about the loneliness. And, you know, I'm someone that's finally at a place where I, I'm very comfortable like being with myself. And yeah, and I, I like being with myself, but you can definitely still get lonely. And, you know, it's the basic thing in humanity that we all need connection and companionship. Yeah, it's very hard. But honestly, Mateo, I feel like even when I was in London, I, I, I was lonely often at work, like doing the temp the temping. But then something that was just so beautiful that I realized was no matter where I went, there was always, you know, amazing people there. And sometimes it just took a little bit of time to see that. And I, I still remember this feeling. I remember working at certain kitchens in certain kitten kitchens and thinking, Oh, like I'm not going to meet anyone here. That's great. Or, you know, no one's going to connect with me and no one wants to get to know me. Like that's just going to be it. And then a week later I have like two friends that, you know, they're my favorite people in the kitchen and we already have like a vibe, you know, and we already have each other's back a little bit. Yeah. And, and so I think, as long as people are open to it and you're also, you know, wanting to make a connection, it'll, it'll find you for sure. It's got to, you know, it's, it's, it's just so normal. It's like the natural thing. But, um, I do have to say I, I was very lucky as well. Cause I moved to London and one of my triplet sisters came with me. And so she was always in my corner. You know, I'd come home from work and be like, hi, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm dying. And then she'd be like, oh, here's some soup, you know? So I felt very lucky. Yeah. And then, but she was working a lot too. She's in it. She was in a different industry. So we were both kind of in the struggle together and, uh, and we worked opposite. So I worked nights and into the day and then she worked day shifts. So we'd be like, hi, are you okay? And then we'd both be, be like, no, we're not okay. <laughs> so, but you got to romanticize the journey too. Like the, I think that's also what helped me to, just enjoy it still as I was definitely a bit delusional and I really tried to romanticize my life. Like, you know, thinking about young T, like my younger self, uh, living in London, like one of the coolest cities in the world, like making croissants with French butter, really cool flour, you know, and people are lining up to eat the stuff that you make, you know, that's really cool. So yeah, I think, you know, there's a saying going around right now that if you're a bit delusional, it's kind of like the solution and that does apply in certain situations for sure. Yeah. But I think, yeah, people, people just need to be open to connection and then it'll find us. It always does. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But how would you deal with it, with meeting new people in a new kitchen? bonding with them and then knowing that you would have probably not seen them forever because that's the thing because you're meeting people and you know that it's really tough for them to be in your life even if you're bonding and you like them how what do you think is a solution to that because i think many people go through it and it's really interesting because sometimes i think we go like i want to meet and be with people that want to do the same things i want to do so that we can change together but be always together. Obviously, everyone has got bet home people that really care about them or they meet people in London, for example, that really care about them. But then you go back to Canada, they go back to where they were from and it's gone. And there's always this desire to be like, yeah, I want to meet a few people, a person. They want to do what I want to do. 
and we we just get along really well and and sort of to live this journey together what's your take on this first thing i think about is just heartache because there's so many people that yeah you just love so much and not even romantically right like i mean obviously romantically as well yeah just, it could be both yeah yeah and yet yeah that journey sometimes comes to an end and and you don't even really want it to or it's just life the logistics of life getting in the way the honestly mateo the people that are meant to be in our lives I truly think that they'll find a way. Yeah, and it's never been this easy. Obviously, with technology, it's quite easy to stay connected. And I feel I feel like, you know, when I moved back from London, it was so depressing. You know, I kind of regretted it, but something inside of me just knew that I had to come back to Canada. Why did you decide to go back? Oh, sometimes even now, I don't, I don't even know, like, honestly. But so my visa was ending. I had a two-year visa and yeah and so so I knew like I had an expiry date and there were a lot of places not a lot there were a few kitchens that had offered to sponsor me but I just didn't want to be locked into those kitchens they weren't places that I wanted to contribute to for like many years to come and so I just thought oh I'll go back and I'll figure it out and honestly part of me part of me thought even part of me to this day still thinks like I might end up in London like end up whatever that means right but yeah and the thing is it, there was like a lot of heartache when I came back because there were people there that I you know they were my family that my friends turned family uh that I met there and and then all of a sudden I just wasn't seeing them on a weekly basis or you know and everything you know two years is a long time it's enough time to start feeling at home and making roots somewhere and then all of a sudden it's just over it's so surreal yeah so surreal and you're just thinking what am I doing and when I leave and it was quite depressing but but even through that like episode of you know heartache and depression and letting go of of a life that I had yeah I still I, I still keep in touch with some friends I still try and see them now and then and I think making sure that you know like so say you're in a kitchen and you know that there's like a few people you're like oh my gosh I'm obsessed with this person like I just want to hang out with them like all the time just make it happen, you know, like just say, hey, like, let's go out. Like, let's let's contribute to something together. Give it a go. Yeah, just don't <laughs> be shy. I think people now are so shy and they're so scared to like put themselves out there, even on a platonic, like friendly level. And yeah. what's the point? We just have to we just have to go for it and shoot your shot. And obviously that's scary. But for me, Mateo, like especially when I was temping, I think I, I felt like a very genuine intuition of like who I wanted to try and keep around and who I knew was just in it for the season. Yeah, and that's something when I, younger younger me was quite stressed about, like, you know, saying goodbye to people, you know, maybe not seeing them again. But it's also such a beautiful thing. You know, certain people show up in your life for like a year or like a, or a month or whatever and maybe they're meant to be there just to bring help you bring like trickle along to a new situation yeah there were certain people that I met through temping that you know we like made plans to hang out outside of work or and it was very natural so and then I'm still friends with some of those people do I see them often definitely not <laughs> do we stay in touch all the time no but I just know like when I go back to London I'm gonna see them for sure like when I go visit and I think there's not really a direct solution for that but I think yeah not being afraid to say hey like I really enjoy working with you 
like let's grab a coffee or there's a new movie coming out and you know like just based on your interests and and also planning like work events are so fun like if everyone goes out for for a drink after work like it's just so nice to do that that helps a lot definitely definitely both job wise and and sort of friendship yeah definitely it's so important and i think i don't know if you can relate in some some aspect but yeah i think as long as you're you're focusing on like how you feel with certain people you'll just know who you who you'll stay in touch with yeah that's true there's some people that are always there even if you never see them but you know they they are there during this period though you 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 said you moved to canada and then you slowly shifted towards being a farmer you are a farmer nowadays yeah so the fact that you shifted again from being a pastry chef to being a farmer is it actually due to events so what happened worldwide with the pandemic and with covid or was it something like let's say was covid an excuse to sort of make you realize that that was what you actually wanted to do but probably didn't covid was the first time i had like many covid was the first time i had a true break a complete pause in work right and obviously a lot of time to just sit with yourself and think about what you want to do and how you're feeling and even having the opportunity to rest and get a little bit more clarity was really good but the whole transition from pastry chefing to farming actually I think was something slow building I just didn't really know that that was what was going to happen like all things in life (laughs) um yeah but the first I guess change in direction is I was watching a documentary um, about permaculture farming and it was this couple that literally had transformed their whole I think like two acre property into this magical self-sustaining permaculture farm but it was it was almost like a homestead but I don't know something about it just struck me and it just felt so rewarding but also the lifestyle was very attractive to me the idea of growing my own food having a connection with everything that I eat was very appealing, but that sort of had a huge trickle effect in learning more about food growing. And I just started watching all these documentaries and slowly became educated on the benefits of small scale organic farming. Yeah. And literally this was, so this was in the first year of COVID, so spring, and it took me a whole year to decide that I wanted to go work on a farm and just get some experience. Yeah. Long story short, it was, it was kind of scary trying something new, but I also was quite excited. I realized I needed a break from the pastry industry because I had some form of resentment or disconnection that was making me a little bit angsty. Yeah. So I reached out to this one farm that I discovered through social media. You know, they're a small scale organic farm, bunch of veggies, about 40 different crops, small team, and then they service communities in Toronto. So, you know, they have veggie basket subscriptions and work at farmer's markets. And yeah, so Mateo, I basically this farmer to hire me because I have no farming experience, really no gardening experience either. I didn't grow up, you know, with a big garden. Yeah. And he hired me, took a chance. How did you convince him? I was on the phone with him on Christmas Eve. I told him like, I have no experience really, but I'm a really good worker. I know what it means to work hard, you know, just take a chance and 
like I promise I'll I'll just give it my all. You know, I just want I want to do something new. And yeah, and he's a pretty chill guy and very open-minded and he just said yeah. And I know he had some doubts probably when I showed up cuz I don't really look like a stereotypical farmer, but yeah, and, and Mateo, I I knew one week in, I just knew my whole life was changed. I loved it so much. And there was just this piece that was sort of erupted within me because I, I just felt so satisfied and at peace with what I was doing. And it felt like coming home. And it, that's a very weird feeling because you don't really know when you're going to feel that way. But yeah, I was just so content, excited. And I knew that I wasn't going to go back to full-time pastry in that same way. Yeah. And I've been at the farm ever since, or I'm finishing my third season there and I still love it. I still find so much joy and, and beauty in the everyday lifestyle of farming, even though it's very hard work. It's really, really challenging sometimes mentally and physically, but there's just like this, this happiness from within that it just feels like it's a huge part of my purpose and it's very rewarding. And you also live there. Yeah, I live there too. Is it a common thing to do in the industry? Um, Yes and no. I mean, it, it kind of depends on the farm because if the farm doesn't have accommodations available, people won't live there, but it is a draw. It is a draw when you're trying to hire a crew of five, six or 10 people. If you have at least some accommodations available, especially in this in the past few years maybe five years there's been a it's kind of trending to spend some time on a farm get some experience so I guess I'm part of the trend I don't know but yeah so it does help when farms do have accommodations available because it's more of a draw it's more easy for people to spend a season at a farm because what is a season oh yeah so the season in Canada depending on you know it changes a little bit from each farm but it's April to end of October, but the primary growing uh, seasons is like end of end of May to October, November. So even right now, we're just harvesting the last of our fields and and uh, prepping them to be storage crops for the winter. And uh, yeah, so so that we can continue to feed people until middle of December. And so what happens between October and April? So a lot of farmers take this time to travel. Or honestly, they'll just rest because it's such a grueling season, especially for like five months in the middle of summer. And then it's a great time to do projects on the farm that you don't have time to do during the growing season. You know, workshop stuff, you know, building, like outdoor maintenance. Anyway, but then it's when you take the time to plan your next season. So you plan your crop rotation, any changes you're going to do to your business. Yeah, it's really nice, honestly, having different seasons to kind of change the style of work that you do. Really enjoyable. But then, yeah, so in the past, for me personally, this is when I've I've gone back to pastry chefing. So in the in the winters all I've sort of become a freelance pastry chef. <laughs> That's cool though. Yeah, it's so random. You can still do it, but in a more balanced way probably. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely I mean, I've had some Christmases that are still pretty crazy in terms of how much I work. But I realized Mateo, it's too much doing doing a crazy farm season because, you know, peak season, sometimes you can work 60 to 80 hours if you want. We, we, we try not to, but it's really easy to work a lot of hours. It's a lot. But honestly, the farm that I'm at, we're really lucky. Like we, 
we mostly just work like 45, 50 max. But then doing that and jumping right into Christmas pastry season, it's too much. My my body doesn't like it. Definitely can't handle it anymore. <laughs> and yeah, so this is the first winter where I'm kind of doing my own thing. Yeah, I'm still trying to prioritize a bit of rest so that going into the next farm season in April, I feel ready. That's cool. And what about the team? I mean, maybe as you said, not all of not all of the people that are part of the team live there, but I guess a few people at least live there. And what about the connection that you create while you're spending so much time all together? Yeah, it's definitely bizarre just spending so many hours together, working together, but then also living with my coworkers, or at least some of them. It's bizarre spending that much time. And then all of a sudden there's the shift and you don't really see them every day or if people, because not everyone lives at the farm over winter. So yeah, you just all of a sudden don't see these people every day. And it's, it's really weird. And it takes a little bit of time to adjust to a new sort of schedule without them. Honestly, Mateo, it's such a beautiful thing. It's one of the my favorite bits about farming is uh, just the natural community it brings. You know, food brings people together and we're around food all the time. And so naturally, it's really easy to cook together after work or, or if we have a bunch of tomatoes that we can't really sell because they're blemished. You know, someone says, oh, let's just start canning them. And then everyone sort of gets involved. And all of a sudden, it's like 10 p.m. <laughs> and you try, you're trying to be like, what are we doing? We have to go to bed. So it's really joyous. And it's this cute little bubble that exists. And I like to call it the slow living. And it's something that I think is becoming a little bit more mainstream. But it's very enjoyable. It's just... For me, anyway, it's very, very nice having people in your corner that you kind of feel are a form of a family, but it's also with work involved. So it's very unique, very unique. It's hard to describe as well. It seems really cool because it feels like, as you were saying, a bubble, like a better way to slow down as well because you're surrounded by nature and, and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, it might be that since you also live there, you don't really get to everything is mixed up and I don't know I don't know what was your perception of that your experience with that because it feels a bit all mixed up but there is no for example in my in my case I really need to have I cannot work at home for example because that's where I rest how does it feel in that context yeah no that's a great question because it's something I sort of struggled with at least in my first season you know, having a day off, but seeing other people work. So you're there, you're at the farm having a day off. And then like knowing that there's other people working, it's kind of hard to separate it or even mentally feel. Because you're always at work, even if you're not working. Yeah, yeah. Especially my first two seasons, Mateo, I didn't have a car. So city girl moves to the farm. But uh, yeah, so I felt very stranded. But it, it forced me to find pockets of um, rest on the farm. So what's nice is there's a big forest at the back. So I would go on a walk in the forest or or I would go meditate in an area where we don't really work in. You know, there's no veg growing there. And yeah, and you can kind of find your own space so that you have a little bit of opportunity to step away from it. Yeah, but I think it's also a choice as well. 
you know, it's easy to be on your day off and think like, oh, maybe I'll go make coffee for everyone and then check in with the crew. But sometimes you just need some distance and just say like, okay, I'm not going to see any of you guys today. Like I need to just go and be do, focus on me or fo- like chat with friends, family, whatever. So yeah, but it, but now I feel like I'm at a space where it feels like my home. Sometimes I'm going to be working. Sometimes I'm not going to be working. And that's just part of the balance of life. And this is my first uh, winter that I'm going to stay at the farm. And it has been kind of interesting because our hours have gone down quite a bit as, as the fields come to a, an end of growing. And so it's making me more comfortable with being at the farm and viewing it more outside of a space of just work. You've recently launched your own business, Sunny Baking, which you described as a way to connect my love for food, baking and pastry with the importance of amazing ingredients, supporting local food growers and having transparent food trail. Do you want to talk a little bit about it? Why did you decide to start your own business? It feels like the perfect mix of your two main areas of expertise, which are being a pastry chef and a farmer now. And... I'm really interested in knowing more about it, what you're doing, why you're doing it. Yeah. No, it really is something that evolved very naturally. You know, talking to me two years ago, I never would have said that I would start my own business, especially a baking business. Yeah. So it happened very organically, no pun intended, but I was always, even at the farm, Mateo, like when I first got there, you know, I love feeding people. So I was always baking, especially with you know, things that we had in the area. I was always making granola for the crew. Yeah, like an endless tub of granola would just exist on the counter. <laughs> but yeah, and, and similar to what I was saying, you know, I still identify as a pastry chef because I'm still baking and I still feed people. But as I discovered more and more about you know, different food trails and met more farmers that had some really amazing products. I just realized that I was finally ready to start something that I felt really good about. And also I had a little bit of autonomy over. So, cause even, even working at different farms, working at a farm, you know, I just felt like I still have my own dreams that I want to focus on, but I didn't really know exactly what it was at the time. And it kind of came to me this past year. I just wanted to start selling the granola that I make all the time, but trying to do it in a way that felt really honest and good about where the food was coming from. Because otherwise, you know, what was I doing it for? I'm kind of invalidating all my values. Yeah, but I think, you know, it comes all the way back to the fact that I felt like a huge disconnect to where our food was coming from. And now that the connection is present and I have access to working with other amazing farmers and food growers, you know, why would I not create something that is delicious and organic and is literally in support of other farmers. So yeah, so this happened really, really slowly over the past year and a half. And I worked on sunny baking over the winter to kind of take the time to research a lot of different farmers and companies to see, you know, what does organic mean to you? Where is this cinnamon coming from? You know, how do you grow your oat? You know, asking him the questions that a lot of pastry chefs 
and people in kitchens don't take the time to ask because it's easier to not. Long story short, Mateo, I launched Sunny Baking earlier this year, and then I launched the first product, which is Maple Cranberry Toasted Granola in July. So it's brand new, literally only been around for a few months, (laughs) but so far it's going really well. And all of the ingredients are honestly such amazing ingredients by supporting the granola by eating the granola you're literally supporting small businesses you know small scale farmers and it's all organic so it's i'm really proud of it and it's also delicious what does organic (laughs) mean to you how do you make it so that it is organic and can be defined as organic yeah i mean that's a great question because you know, it's kind of a loosely used term nowadays, but organic means chemical free, at least to me. So it means that the food that has been grown literally has had no contact with chemicals. So that means pesticides, fungicides, herbicides, which, you know, exists in most of the food today that we eat. And so organic means not having come in contact with any of those chemicals that make us sick. But it takes a lot of time, Mateo, to research and, you know, build a relationship with uh, suppliers because a lot of the time people will see, it'll say like certified organic, but then I don't know, I just try and question everything because I think there's loopholes in a lot of certifications as well. Yeah, so it takes a while to chat with these suppliers and ask questions and maybe they don't even get back to you because... You know, they don't really care about your small business that you're, you're, you're doing, you know, so that's why the best, the best relationships are me as like a small business owner working with other small businesses, um, and supporting each other. And also, you know, they're not going to lie about where their ingredients are coming from because they have the same values as me. Yeah. So it's working with with other like-minded business owners is the cleanest way to sourcing. What's the best way, though, to make sure as a small business owner that you keep on selling? Because I think at the beginning, it's really easy to have really nice and ethical ideas. But then really often we have to sell to the world. And it's not necessarily always easy to stick to the initial plan. Because I guess having, having organic products as a higher cost compared to not organic products or not fully organic products. And as you were saying, it's really difficult to really understand and assess whether a product can be certified as being organic. So what are the greatest challenges? You've partially talked about it already, but in terms of how to scale a business like this, because I'm assuming that if you start a business, your goal is to reach scale, but how do you do it? Yeah, it's honestly the hardest, the hardest element of doing this. And honestly, Mateo, I don't really think I have the answer because so often when people, when businesses scale up, like that's when their values start to chip away a little bit. And it's, it's easier to, you know, have a product that is still good, but it's not, it doesn't hold the same ethical standards as when it started. That's really what I'm trying to avoid. And I think Honestly, this is, this is such bad advice, but I think if I can't do that, then I'm not going to do it because I, I'll just stop the business because I I don't want to be another business that say I, I do really well in a year, in two years, and I'm selling you know a lot of granola. If there comes to a point where I have to offer a product that isn't ethical anymore, 
I just won't do it. I'll just not offer that product or like I have to do some major pivoting within the business to make sure that something can exist while still maintaining the values, you know, cause I honestly, I can't do it. I can't sell something that doesn't feel aligned with what I'm feeling inside. So yeah, I think, I think it's a huge challenge and I guess I didn't really even really answer the question properly. No, I think you, you gave a really nice answer. I mean, it showed the person you are cause you're doing something for a reason. And so if you're not able to do that, you prefer not to do it because it wouldn't make sense because that's not your, it's not the real reason why you're doing it. I think that's great because it shows a lot about the business and it shows people that what you're doing is genuine. Yeah. Like honestly, if referring to young tea, you know, if I did a bunch of granola flavors without including the values that I have for really good ingredients, I probably have 10 flavors by now, you know, literally so many because <laughs> I have all these ideas in my head, but I don't know how to do it organically while also being delicious. So, cause if it's not delicious, Mateo, no one really cares. Where can people find your granola? Can people actually buy it online as well? Yeah. So I'm actually launching online sales later this week, which has been a long time coming. Yeah. So soon I'll be able to ship to different areas. I'm going to start with Canada, trickle to the US and then hopefully Europe. Yeah. And I've been really lucky to the farm that I work at, they've been massive supporters of me starting this uh, business because I've been working on the farm as well. And yeah, they've allowed me to sell through their marketplace. So literally I've brought the granola to the farmer's market while I also work the stall for the farm selling the amazing veg. And then, yeah, so it's been really cool testing out the product that way through um, a market that already exists. And yeah, so the plan is to get into some retailers, do online, and hopefully grow just really slowly, but kind of naturally in a way that I can also keep up with the demand. <laughs> yeah, because it's just me really making the granola. So yeah, but I feel I feel very lucky, Mateo. I've had a lot of people help me out in my in my small circle, like you know, just friends that have different skill sets. You know, help me out with navigating this whole journey of starting a small business because I have no experience really. I'm just navigating one step at a time, which is very scary. That's what a community is for, I guess. Yeah. T, is there something I didn't ask that you would like to talk about? Something that you would like to add before we wrap this up? I think, um, you know, I was reflecting a bit on our conversation and something we didn't really talk about is making sure that I think the biggest thing that drives us all is having a purpose in life. And we, we talked about the pillars and I mentioned a bunch of different pillars, but I totally didn't say purpose. And that is a huge pillar in my life. And it's something that keeps me excited. It keeps me determined. And even when you have those days where you just don't feel like doing anything, you have to dive deep for the motivation. It's the purpose that keeps you going. And I know you have it. I know you have a purpose for sure. I mean, everyone does. I think, one, it's a choice that we make to have a purpose, but also we have to listen to our intuition about what that is and, and lean into that. But yeah, I think, you know, I feel so honored to be here chatting because 
you know, we're, we're very like-minded and I I think in how we approach life, but having a purpose really just allows us all to shine and just bring a lot of joy, beauty, and something special to, to life. And then, and then it's a trickle effect too. It was an honor to have you on tea. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, the honor's mine. I'm so happy we chatted. I'm so excited to see where your podcast goes. Thank you, T. Bye.